0: Well, welcome everybody. We are very, very happy that you are with us today. Thank you for joining us at Wilshire. Visitors, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I know it's already been said, but I wanted to add my welcome to the one that was given at the beginning of the service. Please join us after this worship service, visitors, uh, for a little bit of time of fellowship uh, back in our fellowship hall. I hope you'll be there with us and give us a chance to get to know you. We're continuing just a little bit longer in our study of the book of Acts here from the pulpit. Uh, Jeremy and I would like to get a little bit further through the book than we did in our Sunday morning classes. I'm 62 years old. When you get to be my age, you start wondering what's going to happen when you're gone. I start wondering, you know what? I'm not going to be at OC, which is my full-time job, teaching in the Bible faculty over there, working on some other stuff for them. I wonder what the school's going to be like once I'm gone. I've I've preached here at Wilshire for a long, long time. I wonder what Wilshire's going to be like after I'm gone. When you get to my, my age, you start having those thoughts. And it's interesting, maybe it's just because of where I am in my life, but I noticed that Acts chapter 20 is kind of a transition in the structure of the book of Acts that marks Paul saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to a very specific church. If you're reading the book of Acts, you see that he's uh, kind of completing what we often call the third missionary journey, and he's uh, making this trip, and he stops by Ephesus, He doesn't go all the way to the town of Ephesus. He stops near there and asks the elders of Ephesus to come to him. But Luke goes ahead and records the substance of the talk that he gave to the elders at Ephesus. And it's interesting, from this point on, Paul is not going to have liberty much. He is going very quickly to become a prisoner in the next chapter. And from then on till the end of the book... other people are going to control his movements. He still is active. He's still used by God to preach the gospel. But it is a different part of the book from here on out as the last stage of to the ends of the earth is worked out by God's providence. Paul is taken really even against his will partly to the ends of the earth, to the capital of the empire, to Rome. And there he's able to proclaim the gospel That's where the book of Acts actually ends up. So chapter 20 ends up being kind of a transition. He's saying a farewell sermon to a specific church and a specific group of church leaders, but I think it kind of also serves as Paul's larger talk to this is kind of what I hope for. All these churches that I've worked hard to establish, all these churches that I've labored to to make succeed and to get going, Uh, In my mission efforts, this is what I am praying will happen with them after I am gone. And so if we read, I think, Acts 20, Paul's talk in Acts 20 with that idea in mind, I think we gain some permanent insights uh, from Paul's mind straight to our time today. He says, starting in verse 18, it's there on your sheet, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus jesus christ what is it that paul wants the church for the church after he's gone number one thing that's on his mind apparently is he wants the church to keep preaching the good news because he says that's what i was doing while i was with you with tears he says i preached it in public when they would let me preach it in public I preached it from house to house. When that was all that was available, I preached the gospel. And so we know that was one of Paul's priority. What makes a church a church? There are lots in our culture, as in the ancient world, there are lots of organizations around that do all kinds of services. There are are all kinds of organizations that provide chances for people to be together, chances for people to to, uh, fellowship, chances for people to make friends, chances for people to to encourage their children to turn out okay and and to take care of each other perhaps when they're older. What, and a church can do all of those things and do it rather well, but, but what makes a church a church? A church, the church, is the only place in the world that is able to provide the good news of Jesus Christ. We can do lots of other things, and the church should do lots of other things. Jesus calls us to do many things many things, but if we do not proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, we have stopped being the church of Christ. It could not be more simple than that. Paul says, I preached to Jews when they would listen, I preached to Greeks when they would listen, I preached about repentance towards God and faithfulness or faith towards Jesus Christ. That's what I preached about. That's my gospel. Jesus Christ who has come to save us, calling us to change our lives, repent towards God. Where else in the world do you get a call to repentance? I've noticed that that the internet is kind of an interesting phenomenon. On Facebook and on other social media where the responders are Uh, named and you know who they are, no one ever calls you to repent. Whatever you're doing, whatever is going on in your life, your friends, the people that are with you in that social media just tell you, love you, man. You're doing great. On the other hand, the the Internet's sort of schizophrenic because the parts of the Internet that are anonymous, people are filthy-mouthed. They hate you. They hate you for the smallest things. And they're not calling you to repent. They will tell you all the things that are wrong with you, real and imagined. But they aren't calling for you to repent. They are just telling you you are worth less. That you might as well just give up and stop breathing now. It's an interesting phenomenon. Where do you get called to repent To recognize that you're not that great. But also to be given the message, you can be better. Where do you get that? The real place you get that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which it is the church's mission to proclaim. If We want to be the church of Christ. We must keep preaching the good news of Christ. Paul keeps going. He says this starting in verse 22. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I'm not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Remember, Paul is speaking specifically to the elders of this church at Ephesus of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. So that after I have gone, I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you distorting the truth, uh, not sparing the flock. Some even among your own group will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to warn everyone with tears. That's Paul's testimony. He says, like the watchman in Ezekiel, I have, I have been faithful to proclaim the danger and the escape. I have said the message that God has given me to say. And so I'm innocent of any blood of anyone who has not taken the warning that I've been giving. He says, now I have to go. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to see anybody in Ephesus ever again. That seems to be the message that I keep getting over and over again. Prophet after prophet and city after city says, when you get to Jerusalem, you're no longer going to be free, Paul. I'm going because that's what God wants me to do. That's what's been laid upon me to go, and I don't mind, Paul says. I don't mind because it's more important to me to be faithful than to keep living. This is Paul's testimony. And then he turns to the elders. These men that he knows now are going to be leading the church from this point forward. And he says, so here's what I need from you. Guard the flock. Keep watch over the flock. These men are the elders. They're the overseers or episkopos, the bishops. They are the the shepherds or the pastors of this flock. You are to keep watch over this flock. Why, Paul? Why? He says, because I know after I'm gone, savage wolves, are going to come. Savage wolves. So the second thing that Paul wants for the church after he's gone is that it protect the flock from predators. The church has predators. There are people, sadly, who make a living off of praying on the church. There are people who will savage and tear churches apart. And The job of the leadership, the job of the elders, the job of ministers and and the deacons and everyone who has any kind of spiritual maturity, the job is to protect the flock. Paul kind of gives you some hints as to what are the motivations of the people who are predators. Down in the last part of this section, if you look down there in verse 33 and 34, he says, I coveted no one, silver or gold or clothing. You know, for yourselves, I work with my own hands to support myself and my companions. For all this, I've given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. One of the the signs, I think, of a predator is that he is in the ministry for the money, or she. Now, the Gospel's pretty clear, the New Testament's pretty clear that ministers should be paid for their work. The New Testament is also very, very clear There is something sick and wrong about a minister who is doing ministry for money, for the money. If that's your motivation, first of all, you won't last very long. And if you do last long, what you'll be doing won't be ministry. So protect the flock from predators. What are some of the other motivations that Paul notices? Well, in verse 30, he says... Even from your own group, you pastors, you shepherds, you bishops, you overseers, bishops, even from your own group will come some who will distort the truth in order to entice disciples to follow them. That's another sign of church predators. They are interested in gathering a following, not for Jesus, but for themselves. Now they'll say Jesus, 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 but if you read between the lines, what the message that's coming across is me, 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 me. That's a church predator. Paul says, all of us have some responsibility. The more leadership you have, the more responsibility. All of us have responsibility to protect the flock from predators. Our job is to raise up Lord Jesus. My job is not to raise up Jim Baird. Jeremy's job is not to raise up Jeremy Beller. The elder's job is not to raise up the elders. All of us have the job of raising up Jesus. All of us have the job of helping your eyes see Jesus more clearly and helping your life walk more closely with Jesus Christ. Protect the flock from predators. Verse 27 gives us another clue of what Paul wants us to be careful about. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God. Another of the marks of church predators is that they are going to tailor make their message for their own purposes. I'll tell you some of the Bible, I'll tell you some of what the Word of God says. But the parts that I think you're not going to like, the parts that might mess up my agenda, the parts that might cost me money or the parts that might cost me followers, I may not talk about those so strongly. That's the mark of a church predator. Protect the flock from predators. Now you can't do that unless you yourselves continually feed yourself on the word of God. If you're going to carry out your part in the duty of protecting the flock from predators, you need to feed yourself on the word of God by which you can recognize predators. And that leads me to the next part. Look at verse 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, word that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Paul's leaving. He says, I'm not going to be back. I I, I think I'm never going to see any of you in the flesh again. What's going to keep you safe? He says, the word of God's grace. Third thing Paul wants for the churches after he's gone Stay alive in God's word of grace. He says, if you will stay in God's word of grace, then that's going to build you up. And that's what's going to grant you the inheritance that you're hoping for. Eternal life. Stay alive in God's grace. The word of God can be an instrument of violence. It can be used as an instrument of domination. It can be used as an instrument of self-righteousness. It can be used to express my own fear. And it can be used to express my hate. Paul says the word of God is itself when it helps us to understand God's grace. Stay alive in the word of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, Paul's gone. He died a long time ago. The word of God. The word of God's grace is still here for you and for me. I've been doing this Christianity thing for a long time now. It shows in my hair. It shows in my face. I've been a Christian a long time. And so I'm going to give you my personal testimony about the word of God's grace. I've been touched by lots of things by God by many, in many different ways. The church has ministered to me. Individual Christians have ministered to me. I've been blessed in a variety of ways. But I'm going to tell you something. Again and again and again, God has used the word of his grace to make me a better man. It's the word of God's grace spoken by a preacher that caused me to walk down the aisle and give my life to Jesus Christ. But that was just the beginning of what the word of God's grace has done in my life. Again and again and again, the word of God's grace has surprised me. When I've been a Christian for years, it comes to me and shockingly says, the way you've been acting... The way you've been treating other people runs contrary to the word of God's grace. Jim, you must change. And the word of God's grace helps me to do just that. That has happened to me again and again and again. It's happened often enough that that's what I expect now. And I'm testifying to you that this will happen to you. For many of you, it's already happened multiple times. All of you, this is what the word of God's grace has the power to do. Do not leave this power lying, gathering dust, somewhere in some part of your house, unopened, unaccessed. The word of God's grace can build you up, just as Paul said. The word of God's grace can raise you up to receive your inheritance. Just as Paul said, stay alive in God's word of grace. And Look at verses 33 through 35, the last bit of Paul's farewell sermon to Ephesus. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I work with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I've given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, where he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul there quotes a saying of Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look for those words, you'll never find them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them were inspired to write down that particular saying of Jesus. This is an oral saying of Jesus that was passed down uh, through the church. Paul received it. He records it for us. We don't have, this is the only place it's recorded in scripture for us. Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to get. And Paul says, and that's why I, and he he talks about this in some of his letters, he says, I know I had the right as a preacher to receive pay, but I decided as a missionary not to be paid, to earn my own way most of the time so that people wouldn't think I was in it for the money and so they would listen more carefully to what I had to say. He said, now, I'm telling you elders, I want you to be generous people. And I want the church to be a generous church. What does Paul want for the church after he's gone? Train your hands to be better at giving than grasping. Train your hands to be better at giving than grasping. Jesus Christ set the example for us on this. He gave up. What he had, equality with God, wasn't something to be grasped. He let it go. He emptied himself and he took on this life, not for him, not for his sake, but for your sake. And he lived this life. And he was put on trial, and he was beaten, and he was humiliated, and he was hung on a cross, and he bled out his lifeblood. He gave, and he gave, and he gave, not for him, but for you. Jesus Christ set the example. Train your hands to be better at giving than grasping. That's what the church is meant to show to the world. We are meant to be a people that feeds the hungry. It is good that Christians are known for that. We are meant to be a people that cares for orphans. We are meant to be a people that are known for that. It is good that when people are thirsty, when people are homeless, they think of coming to the churches to ask for help. It is good that we are known for that. We should be known for that. That is what it means to continue day by day, day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out, century in and century out. The Christian church must be there to give to those who have need. That is crucial. I was reading an article. It kind of made me mad, and I'd read it before. I think I was probably mad the first time I read it too, but it made me mad all over again. Have you ever had that experience? Get angry all over again. Read this article. It was by a guy who is a a humanist, and he's very critical of Christianity. And he um, he said, yeah, humanism cares about people. We take care of people. He said, I noticed that a lot of the Christian churches are starting to try to get in on the act. They're trying to imitate the humanists. They're starting to do a lot of charity work and stuff like that. It drove me nuts. I couldn't believe that. I said, wait, what? What? Humanism started in the early 1900s. That That freaked me out. I said, this guy does not understand history very well. If there is a disaster... What's the first organization that shows up? You're hoping will show up. Is it the Red H for humanism? It's the Red Cross, I believe. What's the largest charitable organization in the world? Vision International, it's a Christian group. There are a lot of charitable organizations. In fact, Christianity outdoes any other movement. There are lots of charities going on in the world, but Christianity, if you count all the Christian charity, it, is, it outstrips any other single source of charity. On every measure. Giving, volunteering, that's just true. I'm reading a book right now. That says one of the most important things you can do for a culture to help raise it out of poverty is to educate women. I, I, that's fascinating. This guy was is a has been a UN researcher. It's called Factfulness, by the way. It's a great book. Hans Rosling, I think, is his name. Hans Rosling is Swedish. The most important thing you can do to raise a culture, one of the most important things, is to start to educate women. You can actually go through the world and look at countries where a hundred years ago women had no access to education and now they do. Six times out of ten. Guess who opened the first school for women in those places? Christian missionaries. Over and over again. Now they get taken over once they're up and running and and obviously succeeding. The government will come in and take them oftentimes. But guess who opens them over and over and over again? Christians do. I don't mind that. I am glad that Christians are known as the people that when you're in trouble they have an open hand. We should be known as the people who give. Our Lord and Savior said, it's way happier, it's way more blessed to give than to get. To give than to receive. Paul's prophecy was right. The prophecy that he had received was correct. He goes on, he's arrested in Jerusalem, and uh, he is in prison for the next many years waiting for trial in various places. He had to leave those churches that he had established behind. Sometimes he can write letters to them, sometimes he can't. He had to leave them behind. But he didn't leave them alone. He knew that God's spirit working through the Word, working in other ways, was going to give them what they needed if they would follow the Spirit. That is still true today. Our church, our sister churches, can be what God wants them to be. We can continue to be God's kingdom in this place as we allow god to lead us forward if you need to be responding to something in your life so you can be more in step with where god is leading if you need prayers if you need to receive baptism there's anything else we can do for you why don't you come as we stand and as we sing